everyone remain calm. Back for more, huh? Oh, yeah. Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. But then later there's running and then screaming. Somebody talk to me! What is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. And now, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. How long is it going to take for that to spread around the globe? This was all John Hammond's dream. Hold on to your butt. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 327th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we dive into a little bit of Jurassic news regarding Jurassic World Dominion's box office. We have the DVD release coming up, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And then after that, we dive into a wonderful interview with Gary Gerani, the creator behind the Jurassic Park Tops trading cards and the writer of that new book featuring all of those gems in series one and two of those Jurassic Park Tops trading cards. I had such a fun time chatting with Gary about the two series and some of my favorite cards and even Dinosaur's Attack. So I really hope you enjoy this one. But as always, before we get started, I'd like to take care of some quick business. Now you've heard me say it before, but throughout the month of June, please head over to our YouTube channel to help donate to the Trevor Project during Pride Month. It's a great organization that focuses on suicide prevention and crisis intervention for LGBTQ young people who need your support. And the Jurassic community is super, super generous. So if you'd like to help out, like I said, head to our YouTube channel, Find a video that's been released over the course of this past month of June uh, 2022 and then click donate. All that money will go directly to the Trevor Project and uh, none of it will go to us here at the podcast. So please go help support the Trevor Project. Now, speaking of YouTube, over on our channel last week, I did a Let's Talk Jurassic live stream last Wednesday night, and I finally uh, have been getting back to talking about Jurassic after like a month and a half of watching all of the movies leading up to Dominion. And last week, we finally got into Beyond the Gates and their new release. We talked a little bit about uh, the Maisie Lockwood adventures. We talked about a ton of Jurassic merch. Uh, outside of the Beyond the Gates stuff, there was a, a bunch of other things that we were discussing. And then, of course, we dove into a ton of uh, Jurassic World Dominion spoilers. So be warned about that one, but that comes later on in the stream. We talked for like over two hours. So it was another long one. And uh, this week on the channel, we do have another Let's Talk Jurassic. Who knows what we're going to be talking about, but I cannot wait, as always, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And certainly keep an eye out on our channel for more videos later on this week. But enough of all of that. Why don't we go ahead and get this episode kicked off with a little bit of Jurassic news from around the world. 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research. Access me, program. Access me, security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. That boy, my head being right all the time. But today, I guarantee it. All right, so first up here in the news, I wanted to start off with a bit of a retraction. Uh, now, last week, I felt pretty confident in saying that Jurassic World Dominion would, you know, not come in first uh, over the second weekend of its release. I, I figured, you know, Lightyear, brand new Pixar movie coming in, uh, a pretty big property, would definitely snag the first place, right? Well, no. 
Jurassic World Dominion actually came in first with $58.7 million in its uh, second weekend, which was a huge surprise. Uh, I definitely thought Lightyear was going to come in first, but that one actually ended up with $51 million, uh, a bit below what they had, had expected for that movie. I think they uh, estimated somewhere in the $70 million range, but... 58.7 million, it's kind of low. It's it's a pretty low number for, for Dominion, but you know what? It came in first and that's all that matters. It's still the number one movie in the world for the second week in a row, and that is pretty incredible. Currently, we're looking at $634 million worldwide. Uh, 375 of that uh, are from international box offices, and then 258 of that, uh, and we're talking millions here, uh, are you know from the domestic box office. So 634, that is not a number to uh, look down upon. That is pretty good. It seems like it might be a little bit of a struggle to get to 1 billion, but who knows? Maybe we can keep this thing going for a little bit longer. I know Thor is coming out soon. Minions are coming out. Uh, so there's a lot down the pipeline here, but hopefully Jurassic World Dominion can reach that $1 billion mark, but who knows? It's quite a, a little ways away, but we'll see. Anyway, if you want more information about the Jurassic World Dominion box office, head to the link in our show notes. <laughs> Well, it definitely looks like Jurassic World Dominion, which is already a long movie at uh, just around two and a half hours, is getting that extended cut that has kind of been rumored and teased about over the past week or so. Finally, we're getting 14 extra minutes. It's been confirmed there are 14 extra minutes in the extended cut of Jurassic World Dominion. So, uh, Colin did confirm that, and it looks like... Maybe five of those minutes are probably going to be the prologue. It seems like Colin has uh, hinted that we're going to be seeing the prologue in there. He has been very adamant in different interviews and uh, on Twitter and such that the movie is a, a much better experience with that five minutes, but they had to make some hard choices along the way. So that that gives us nine minutes of new content that we've never seen before. Um, so what does that mean? What are we going to get? Uh, there's been a few different hinted at scenes before. We, maybe a Lystrosaurus versus Oviraptor fight uh, at that uh, Malta Jabba's Palace style uh, building there. Maybe we're going to get a, a scene with like Ramsey and Dodgson. Who knows? I don't know. Nothing's been confirmed too much yet, but those sound like some pretty awesome scenes that I would love to see. But with 14 extra minutes... I'm very interested to see what that cut looks like of Jurassic World Dominion. And it also looks like it's been confirmed that Battle at Big Rock will be included on the DVD as well. If you want to get a look at the extended cut, Blu-ray, take a look at the link in our show notes. Oh, there it is. There it is. Let's open up the doors to the visitor center, where we hear from Gary Girani about the Jurassic Park Tops trading cards and the new book from Abrams Books. We are here today inside the visitor center to bring us back to the 90s and test our earliest Jurassic memories with, well, I think I can say, I, can, I think I can say this, the mastermind behind the tops Jurassic Park trading cards, series one, series two, and the new book from Abrams with an introduction in there as well as more information throughout the book, uh, it, which dives just straight into the memories of our past. Jerry, Gerani, how you doing? 
the, I'll tell you, uh, uh, my most vivid memory of, of doing Jurassic Park was that it was just a few years after I created uh, Dinosaur's Attack for Tops, which is a trading card set, which is pretty much the same idea. And I know Crichton himself really loved the cards and, and then wrote his book. And I had not one but two deals with Hollywood on Dinosaur's oh. Attack. And then Jurassic comes along and blows me away. <laughs> So it was kind of like, all right, <laughs> being a dinosaur freak, always wanted to see this happen. But what can I say? I had sort of yeah. mixed feelings originally. But, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, but, yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> and now with Jurassic World, it's totally dinosaurs attack. I mean, it's I literally. Know. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah. I'll get to that stuff in a minute because I have some questions on that that I want to ask you. But mm-hmm. uh, but but welcome welcome to the show. And uh, I, I have this one question that I ask uh, I ask every person that comes on the show, and uh, I want to know your answer. I want to I want you to you know tell to me straight what what's your answer. <laughs> <laughs> if you were stuck in a kitchen with a Velociraptor, what would you do, and would you make it out alive? <laughs> <laughs> what would I do? Well, I think I would do what the kids in Jurassic Park did, which is just you hide as best you can, and you say a little prayer as you're hiding. <laughs> uh, uh, I probably would have. I probably would have been too scared to ever think of doing something smart, like you know, throwing something as a diversion to get them out of the way. I'd probably just be too paralyzed. Mm-hmm. So I'd be one of those ah, kind of people, as yeah. opposed to the clever person who says, oh, "Let's do this, and then we can escape this way or whatever." I'd hope that whoever I was with uh, would have those thoughts. Uh, I know, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, it's a tough situation. I don't know. They got lucky, you know. That they, they got lucky. I don't know how I would handle it personally, but uh, distractions. I guess, but you know, and I don't think I could, I couldn't fit in any of those cabinets at this point in time. So that's not going to work for me, but, uh, it's impossible. I think they got real lucky in that situation. (laughs) Yes, they did. Yes, they did. And, and, you know, I mean, a lot of times little kids, uh, in these scenarios do get lucky. As I recall, uh, when Spielberg did his war of the worlds movie, uh, the little girl there was also, hiding from the aliens that were creeping around the house in a very uh-huh. similar situation. The, so you that, just got to hide and hope for the best. I guess. That moment that's, that's the in, yeah, in uh, War of the Worlds when they're in the basement, I think, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that, they're in a the basement there and that, that part of the alien comes down and is like wandering, like that, that neck or whatever it is. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. very similar to that kind of situation. It's very terrifying. So everybody, everybody is right. lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly right, so, kids, you know. Yeah, kids in these movies, uh, you know, you, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> the kids are cute and everything. You want to see them escape. Of the course. adults you want to see get all chewed up every <laughs> opportunity. But uh, anyway. <laughs> so tell me uh, a little bit about yourself, and uh, well, specifically, like, why were you the perfect candidate for uh, for working on this book that features all these original tops uh, trading cards for Jurassic Park? Well, uh, it's all very logical because <laughs> I was the guy who originally 
uh, wrote and edited and photo edited the original trading card set on Dinosaur's Attack. Oh, shit, Dinosaur's Attack. <laughs> <laughs> I did that too! <laughs> no, no, no. On, on Jurassic Park, excuse me. Uh, but no, no, the, the truth of the matter is I was Topps's, um resident movie TV authority, writer, editor, whatever. I had started with them in 1973. Now, of course, if you're working for Tops, they have you do everything. So even though I, I was originally, uh, it, it's funny, I, I my first professional writing job ever was for a monster magazine called The Monster Times, uh, where I played the creature from the Black Lagoon. The creature was talking about his experiences coming to Hollywood. And so I wrote this very humorous kind of first person auto autobiography of the creature. And uh, Topps saw this, they thought it was really funny, and hired me. Uh, to write their movie monster cards, to write the gags, which uh -huh. seemed logical. But we got along so well, and I was such a crazy person, you know, I fit right in with the top wackos, that they eventually hired me full-time to be their uh, Monday through Friday creative resource, mostly focusing on all the movie and TV times, just about any movie or TV show Tops did from 72 to... 2022 or so uh <laughs> i was the guy putting it together so when jurassic park eventually came along it was it was basically just the next of the um i don't know I, i've probably done hundreds of movie and tv shows so this was just the next one to be done mm -hmm. and to the best of my memory what what was happening was that spielberg had two projects going at the same time. There was Hook and there was Jurassic Park. And at Tops, we had uh, we were we tied into everything that Lucas and Spielberg did. Uh, in some cases, that didn't turn out so well, like Howard the Duck or whatever. <laughs> but whatever those guys did, we came in there with candy containers, trading cards, uh, magazines, whatever you know. Um, so we were already we were tied in for Hook, and we did Hook. And at the same time, I, I seem to recall when I was reading the screenplay to Hook, uh, they brought me into a room and uh, there were all the storyboards to mm -hmm. Jurassic Park Ooh. all over the place. And uh, I knew that was going to be the next one that we were going to be doing. So it was like a little sneak preview. And eventually when I did, we, we started to actually do Jurassic Park. Yeah, they shared all that material with me again. And, uh, you know, we, we put our card series together. But that was pretty much right after uh, Hook. It was like one and then the next one, as I recall. Um, that's that's amazing. Jurassic I... Park being, being the bigger success of the two, obviously. <laughs> well, you know, I you think... Know, you you I win think, some, uh... you lose some, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, Hook is something that is, is uh, you know, at times looked down upon. I, I actually love mm. the movie. I still I still really appreciate it because it came at that perfect time for me. I, ha I Look, I have mm. some traded cards right here. For Hook. Hey, I, I literally, oh I, God, yeah. I was going through my drawer before getting out some of my, because I got like, uh, I've got like my binders and stuff. I've got binders full uh, of all kinds of trading cards. And... On, on, on the making of that set, I remember that, um, you know, one of the biggest problems with these things is that if they're, they are special effects oriented movies, the opticals and the effects are the last things that are done. And of course, mm -hmm. that's the stuff that the kids really want to see. And I seem to recall with Hook, we didn't get many opticals, so what I did is I, I took the trailer. I, I seem to recall blowing up images of the optical effects that were already done for the trailer to get some of that flavor <laughs> into the hook set. So, yeah, there's, there's always, these were, you know, you, 
whatever you could think of to kind of try to make the product a little better. And That's I was amazing. pretty much of an expert at that point. I've been doing it for quite some time. Yeah. But, um, you know, anyway. I, I got to say, like, there there's certain things, uh, because I've been a fan for, of Jurassic since, you know, mm -hmm. uh, well, my mom, like, read the book before, it, you know, it came out. And she was telling me the story. I was a little young at that point to read it. By the time the movie came out, I'm, I'm absorbing everything. And there's certain mm -hmm. things, there's certain things across this entire franchise that like roped me in like big time as far as like mm -hmm. keeping me a fan and stuff like that. For example, mm -hmm. like the toys, obviously I'm a big toy collector and stuff like that, <laughs> all the merchandise, uh, the scores were something that really hooked me in and kept me, oh, yeah. you know, listening to those. Um, but honestly, one of the most important things for me as a kid were these tops cards, like featuring mm -hmm. like all of my favorite characters my heroes you know my the dinosaurs <laughs> that i loved uh you know and, and but at that point like i i had my dinosaur books but once these dinosaurs came out these that was it these were the dinosaurs um and of course you have all the set pieces and vehicles and stuff like that so these cards like really made it more real for me you know it, oh, it made it you. yeah it yeah. really did like to see these dinosaurs right there it actually felt like i was looking at like a real dinosaur right there it was, you know, it was a dream so come true it's so wonderful to hear you say that because, uh, uh, you know, prior to that, you know, when I, when I think about the 70s and I think about how Star Wars changed everything, mm -hmm. and when we did the trading cards on that, that was really part of the 1977 pop cultural experience of Star Wars because the cards were loved almost as much as the movie. <laughs> and what you're saying is sure, years later, once video came along, uh, the power of those trading cards wasn't quite as potent because on video, you can look at it all the time. You can, sure. But in those earlier pre-video days, like when they, it was amazing. That was the best way to have a little souvenir from the movie. And we wound up doing so many cards that it was, it was a wonderful collection to have. I mean, yeah. I collected cards myself as a kid. I remember, I'm a Brooklyn kid. Topps was a Brooklyn company. So when I was a kid, I was collecting the movie monster cards with the funny captions and Mars <laughs> attacks and all those other yeah. crazy things. Little did I realize within, you know, 10, 15 years, I'd be doing the same thing over at Tops. Uh, but it was great when they were a Brooklyn company because it had uh -huh. something of the, the old world feel to it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the people who were still working at Tops were from the old world. People like Woody Gelman and uh, these were great uh, people who had worked with amazing people. I mean, Woody Gelman, uh, who was originally the head of our new product development department, uh, you know, worked with Fleischer doing the Popeye and Superman cartoons. Oh, wow. As did Ben Solomon, who was the head of our art department. Sometimes I'd be having a meeting with Ben and he'd be drawing a little Popeye in the corner <laughs> or something. You know? So it was just so fantastic to. Uh, work with these people kind yeah. of toward the end of their careers. And I'm always very grateful when I think back on that. Yeah. You know, it, it they, I, I know you said like at that point in time, we've got, we've, we've got our VHSs. We're plugging those yeah, in and, and yeah, watching these things all the time. But like, there is something, there's something great just about having these, like, cause I loved, I love collecting <laughs> cards as well. I had, I had a lot of sports cards as well, baseball mm -hmm. and basketball and stuff like that. But I also, I, I, I've got this binder full of movie ones, whether it's like 
obviously Jurassic. I had Indiana Jones, uh, Back oh, to the yeah. Future, Adam's Family, oh, Hook, obviously. Yeah. So I had like a, everything out there that I loved. And obviously that's continued. I literally just continued that trend in, in my life now. Well, no, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted. <laughs> it, it really makes me feel like, my God, all those years when I was designing these cards and coming up with the gimmicks for the borders and all of that. Yeah. that it's nice to know that it made an impression on people. As years went by, it became a little more sophisticated. I mean, I used to draw the designs, wow. the Star Wars card with, I drew those little stars and did the little burst <laughs> as the logo. <laughs> years later, we had real great designers who would who I would suggest things to that they would take it from there. Wow! Uh, yeah, but but no, it, it, it's um, it really makes me feel good to when when I hear that people got so much pleasure out of these yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was actually I was actually reading the 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 end of this uh, book where you know Chip was mentioning about creating the logo and stuff like that, and it was just funny to read like uh, that. You know, somebody's designing the 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 cover for Jurassic Park, and it. It's something that, hey, I got to Xerox this out. I got to print it out and do all this stuff. And I'm like, man, like today, that's just like unheard of. Everybody's just opening yeah, Photoshop and just cutting, you know, just different, doing stuff in Photoshop. World. It's a completely different world. And it's <laughs> it's wild to think. And I, I, I think these came out so great. And they're such, they, they, they're, they're beautiful. You know, I really love them. And actually, you know, Jurassic fans are, are uh, just in general, like love this design. I've seen so many people like, make their own versions of cards like this where they put the border mm -hmm. around it and yeah i noticed and, that lately too yeah, yeah. yeah. it's it's great uh, so so back then when you uh yeah. when you're you're working on hook and then you see all the stuff for jurassic park mm -hmm. and and you get the word that you're going to be like working on this what's it like to see the influx of Im imagery and stuff like that uh for this dinosaur movie that you, at, at this point in time you you know steven spielberg's working on it but unbeknownst to you you don't know that it might become this culturally impactful like moment in time for film film goers and stuff like that how, how does that feel when you see all that stuff there well you know it's kind of interesting because we all felt it was going to be a giant hit okay uh, to be honest yeah it was i mean <laughs> i mean not only, not only was it based on on this book that also everybody knew was sort of going to be huge there was a dinosaur uh trend going on during the 80s dinosaurs would go up and down in popularity with kids and it just so happened that during the 80s they were on the upswing and remember you had barney all of a sudden dinosaurs were everywhere which is why i was able to convince tops to do uh dinosaurs attack which was our uh, take off on our own mars attacks so it was like for years i wanted to do a painted sci-fi gory series like that uh but those things never sold. But because the dinosaur fad had come in, it was like, gee, why don't we try that Mars thing, but with dinosaurs? So the dinosaur fad kind of led to Barney, it led to us doing our thing, <laughs> and it led to Crichton reacting too, saying, yeah, dinosaurs are big again. Let me create the ultimate dinosaur adventure yeah. here, which which he did. Uh, God bless him. And. Uh, <laughs> No, so, so we kind of figured it was going to be huge. The other thing that made it even bigger was the CGI factor. Now, this movie started out, it was going to be stop motion. I guess it was Phil Tippett and those guys were doing their brilliant state-of-the-art stop motion. And we had seen how good stop motion could be in recent years with things like Dragon Slayer, let's say. Um, but this whole new technology... Mm -hmm 
dovetailed with the concept of the story. It was like they finally found a way to bring dinosaurs to life, both in terms of the storyline and in terms of what we're seeing on the screen. Those two <laughs> things connected and that made it irresistible. And I could tell you for a fact, uh, the great uh, movie, poster, uh, movie poster painter Joe Smith, who was a friend of mine, I wrote a book uh, about his work. He did Earthquake, did Ben-Hur, all great classic painted movie posters. And he had to go see this movie. And uh, and I said, well, what, what, you know, I know you're not just a dinosaur fan. Why, why? He says, because for the first time, they found a way to bring dinosaurs to life convincingly. And I said, oh my God. So it, 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 the one thing connected to the other and people who wouldn't even ordinarily think about going to it had to see dinosaurs come to life for the first time. And that really helped. Uh, I think the movie would have been huge even if it was stop motion, but this new technology making it smoother and more impressive than ever was made the whole thing irresistible. You know? Yeah, uh, it, it changed everything. I mean, I, I I do wonder a lot what that version would have been, you know, if we got uh, the stop you know, motion, the stop motion, it would have been interesting, like, because we have we've seen the, you know, the clips and stuff of what they were working on. But yeah, how, yeah, yeah. I, I've seen some of that stuff just recently. I think on YouTube, they had some of it up. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there's the animated Rex with the fence and stuff. And so you could actually get a little sense of what that would have been. I mean, stop motion. Uh, was the way to bring dinosaurs to life on the screen. I mean, that's <laughs> yeah. the way it had been for decades. King Kong and the original Silent Lost World was so bright established that. And Harry Housen, of course, continued it. And you couldn't, you, you know, the only guy that got away with, other than the Japanese with the Godzilla films, gotta remember the original Godzilla is a brilliant, dark, serious, fantastic movie before they got a little silly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But Eugene Lurie is the greatest dinosaur movie director of all time. He did The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, he did The Giant Behemoth, and he did Gorgo. And all three, one could say, gee, it's kind of the same movie done three times. But each of them is so distinctly different in terms of its tone and flavor. reason I mention this, again, is that Gorgo was a guy in a suit. But it just goes to show you, uh, if your suit is fantastic and your movie is beautifully done, you don't necessarily need stop motion. But even so, stop motion was to 99 and three quarter percent of us fans, that's the way you do dinosaurs. So up until CGI came around, that's what you wanted, you know? Uh, and stop motion yeah. could be wonderful. I mean, to this day, you look at the beast from 20,000 Fathoms, uh, trundling through the New York uh, streets, gobbling down the cop, doing all that kind of stuff. It looks fantastic, it looks real. The black and white helps. Let's face oh, it. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it covers up a lot. But but it's the lighting and everything. It just looks fantastic. But it was a real thrill to see CG. Um, I mean, we had seen a little bit of it in uh, uh, in the, the the Liquid Metal Man and the Terminator. Yeah, Terminator. It, it, it had been around a little bit, um, but this was the, a very very dramatic use of it. And I know a lot of people now, you know, dump on CG there, anything but CGI. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Really, it really was a miraculous special effects process where you could sort of do anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, that all connected to, yeah, and I, I love, 
I love that Phil Tippett's like quote behind the scenes basically like ended up in the movie with him basically saying like, well, I guess I'm out of a job. You know, don't don't you mean extinct? <laughs> you know, like it's funny that that it's shown on screen and it, it, it carried over. So but yeah. And, and and Phil's got a movie coming out in June as well. So right, I think so. Right. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see and, and see how that's, God bless. you know, how it's uh, progressed. Um, but yeah, it just. I think this movie in general, uh, it must have made things a little bit easier for you because it had these animatronics. You've got this the mm-hmm. scale and the scope for these cards. You've got like eye-popping vehicle designs and stuff like that. The, the vehicles themselves are so iconic. Um, mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. all these set pieces like the visitor center and stuff like that, I feel like it had to make things a little bit easier for you <laughs> overall with, with how cool. You mean in terms looked. of um, uh, choosing images that look good on cars? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, um, that's always our primary concern. <laughs> and uh, it was funny that you, you mentioned that when uh, we did the original Star Wars cars back in the primitive days, uh, there were, I think there's just there was just one spaceship shot or maybe two oh, spaceship shots that okay. were airbrushed and prepared by lucasfilm yeah. and and uh, you know but my my point here is even without those incredible spaceships and all the special effects you couldn't get a bad shot from star wars because the sets were interesting the characters were interesting the costumes were interesting <laughs> so to, to your point as long as the film is providing an exciting visual look because of the nature of the material and the story uh even if you don't actually get the optical effects sometimes you've got a lot to work with in jurassic interestingly enough well there's another connection here because i had uh, co-written the screenplay to the horror movie pumpkinhead that stan winston directed so stan winston of course created the dinosaurs for jurassic park so i had a relationship with him and uh, we went went down to studio we're going through things and all of that and uh, the amazing thing, of course, is that uh, in some scenes, the raptors are guys in suits. Yeah. You know, it is, it is uh, um, uh, you know, those guys who played the aliens, played Pumpkinhead, Alec, and, you know, they would get in <laughs> into that, those crazy rubber suits, and um, it would be completely convincing. You couldn't tell where a CG shot ended and where the actual physical on-set costume began so um that made it easier for me because there was so much uh, there was enough onset photography of the suits mm-hmm. and of the big t-rex that stan created so there was physical effects that you could get great photography on um they eventually gave us some cg photography as well but like i say we were kind of covered on that one yeah obviously the dinosaurs were the stars of the movie so we had to provide that and uh, luckily, I mean, obviously, when Universal was licensing this, Spielberg's licensing it, they're saying we got to give our people images to work with. Well, Tops needed more pictures than anybody in the universe because all, all our product was was pictures. So with <laughs> us, they would always say, okay, we got to figure out how to get you more and more great stuff. But that yeah. one, at least, like I say, had great onset effects that we could use um, in, and that could be reproduced from slides and. Mm-hmm. and you know, make nice cards out of them. I I think my favorite one is this one here called uh, "Gutting the Vehicle," and it is, it is the T Rex <laughs> on top of the uh, the Explorer, 
I, I there's something about this one. I just love it so much because it, it it's kind of like this almost like it looks like it's almost like a promo shot. Like it's like nicely mm-hmm. lit. It doesn't really look mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. directly from the film. It, it it's I mean the, the the Rex has like her eyes closed and just roaring with a, a tire in her teeth. It's just. It's a great shot, and I, I love so it so much. It's so interesting to hear you say this, because it's like I can hear from your enthusiasm that you're getting the nuances of what was present in that piece of photography. It's <laughs> registering for you more than just what the content is. You're getting to that next level. And what was, what was cool was that very often the photographs and slides and transparencies they would provide us with it would be changed by the time the movie came out uh-huh. or scenes would be cut, which is why in E.T. we have shots that were cut from the movie of, of uh, E.T. giving mom the uh, Reese's piece on, on her pillow or the little boy levitating in the principal's office. It was Harrison <laughs> Ford playing the principal. Well, those scenes were cut from the final movie, but there they are in our cards because at that point they were going to be in the movie. Yeah. Same thing happened with Star Wars. You have all those introductory scenes of Luke looking up with his binoculars and stuff, oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, which was cut from the movie. So yeah. that's why in this particular case, like I say, it's it's anyone could do a frame grab from the film. It's mm-hmm. great to use the photography they gave because you find all these interesting little things like you were pointing out. Yeah, I do love that. And I have noticed over time some shots like I've just like I don't recognize them from the film. Mm. They're just slightly mm. different or maybe it's a different take or something like that. So it's it's really cool and unique to see that as a fan. And mm-hmm. and I, I mm. picked up on those. One of them is actually an animatronic that was not even in the movie. It was the, tr- the baby oh, triceratops. See what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. There you go. Baby Triceratops not in in Jurassic Park. It was like cut out of the movie and then actually was reused for the Lost World. So it did end up in a movie eventually. But it's amazing that it was it was in there. So let, and- let, let me let me let me let me. Uh, uh, this isn't exactly Jurassic, but it's close enough <laughs> to mention it. Um, when we did Little Shop of Horrors, okay. That movie was originally going to end with all these incredible scenes of the plant, the giant plant taking over the world like a giant, like a Godzilla in different miniature cities and doing all these incredible things. Well, they cut those scenes from the end. They wanted, I guess, a happier ending. And uh, (laughs) they had already given me these gorgeous, incredible uh, special effect shots of of all those city attacks. Uh, So what I did, this is to give you an example. I said, okay, they're cut from the movie. What if we do a situation where we put a thought balloon, we put them within a thought balloon, and it's what Seymour is afraid might happen if he doesn't stop the plant? Oh. Okay, that we can live with that. So I got all that incredible imagery into that card set, even though it wasn't in the finished movie. That's amazing. That is so cool. Um, And trading card trade. One of the things that is is absolutely my favorite in and you know it, it, within the cards but also just on their own is actually Crash McCreary's artwork oh. which you know like I said you had you already had so much to include in in uh in these cards but you also had Crash McCreary artwork which was just as a Jurassic fan that is like truly iconic stuff um the one with the T-Rex with the uh, with its foot like up in the air it's very bird like mm-hmm, like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. that ended up I know it was black and white but then it ended up in color on a t-shirt when I was a kid and I I had that t-shirt <laughs> it was like and somebody they added in like the Ford Explorer to the shot so it was changed up but like it 
it's iconic and a lot of Crash's stuff, whether it's the baby raptors or just well, the, Crash, all the yeah, dino Crash designs. Was, uh, yeah, he was uh, one of Stan Winston's top designers, and he was also a friend. He did some work for me on some other movie projects that I was developing, and his brilliance was in his black and white work was just incredible. And I actually asked him to work on one of our cards that's Universal Monsters Illustrated, where I had 10 classic Universal Monster movies, and I got one great artist to do 10 illustrations of each of them to reinterpret each of the classic films visually through their eyes. And Crash was a huge fan of the creature from the Black Lagoon. That was one of the classic monsters. So I said, Crash, hey, do your thing. And uh, <laughs> he did these incredible black and white pieces, which again, some people at Tops were saying, maybe we should colorize them. And I'm saying, no, 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 yeah. no, no. They're so exquisite this way. Let them go through. And miraculously, in that case, they left it alone. <laughs> they wow. let the black and white go through without colorization. That's amazing. Uh, but that other great black and that, that all that great crash stuff was part of the style guide, too. So mm -hmm. this was given to all the people who had a license to make use of those drawings and put them in whatever graphic configuration, you know, we, we might uh, think of. So Crash's influence was tremendous. Um, he's a great guy, by the way. Well, Terrific awesome. artist and, a, and a, one hell of a great human being. <laughs> <laughs> that's always good to hear. That's good to hear. I, it's no, no, know, no, that, in all serious, a really nice guy. That's very, amazing. Very nice. This stuff's iconic, and uh, I know just pretty much every Jurassic fan out there is obsessed with all that imagery. So to not only have, like I said, all the heroes, the dinosaurs, the vehicles, we also have this incredible artwork in here. It is so cool. So, so moving forward to like you know today, when you you get you know you get told, hey, we need you to work on on this book. What is that like? What do you? What's your first thought when you're like, okay, what do I got to do to put this thing together? <laughs> well, um, basically, this is one of uh, several books that I have done for Abrams where they reprinted some of my classic trading card sets and then they would hire me uh, to come in and write an introduction that was more like a making of very big introduction and then do commentary on the cards so I had already done that for a number of Star Wars sets and Planet of the Apes and, and whatever uh, so Jurassic was just the most is just the most recent example of one of my card sets being immortalized between two covers. <laughs> uh, and it's fun, because then I can come in and reminisce before my brain cells completely disappear. Oh. You know, it's like, oh. yeah, let's get this down. Uh, and it's amazing how many people really are into this. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm actually writing a book called The Card King Chronicles right now, and I'm the card king, uh, <laughs> which, which, which I'm just trying to remember the hundreds and hundreds, decade by decade, yeah, the card sets that I that I did, and um, and these Abrams books again. That's what they're about. Uh, it's hard sometimes to remember. Gee, I picked this picture for this reason, and I didn't use this for the. But you know something? It's crazy things like that that stay in your mind. You know, it's like yeah, I didn't use this picture because I didn't like the way Richard Dreyfuss looked, or I, I didn't use the. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy reasons that stick with you. Yeah, Richard Dreyfuss actually never gave us permission to put him in our Close Encounters set. Oh, no. He was a little too highfalutin for that. <laughs> no cards for me. No problem. No problem, Alec Guinness, wow. but, you 
Uh, Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. I I love this book. I uh, I didn't know what to expect because I I've never had one like this. So when this showed up, I was actually like, oh, it's it's like a tiny little like nice small book, self-contained. I had no idea like what to expect. I love like the fact that there's just like gum on oh, the yeah, outside yeah. of it. They really try to it's, give you that feeling yeah, that you have. The experience, like. You- the the cu- the the slip cover itself feels like you know like that waxy yeah. you know paper yeah, kind of stuff yeah, it's that's, it yeah. it's fascinating and I, I just love it so much so and actually while reading that that introduction and you've mentioned it a few times here um dinosaur uh, dinosaurs attack I I was obsessed with those as a kid like that so <laughs> yeah and and I I didn't know that that was something that you had worked on so that's amazing like uh, that that's like again well, you know, another you know, the thing days, back then, we, nobody you, nobody really got credit on these products so you would mm-hmm. find interesting different ways to let the world know that you had done it in the case of dinosaurs attack i played the scientist dr elias thorne who starts all the trouble if you look at the cards it's it's all based on oh my on god of me, <laughs> which is the closest i said well listen as long as i created this product and yeah started all the mayhem i might as well be the guy the scientist who accidentally starts all the mayhem wow. uh, but yeah that, that, that was just in 1988 that was just a couple of years uh before jurassic yeah actually. yeah uh, it, it, it fascinated me it was so brutal and uh and you know luckily yeah. luckily Jurassic has never really transitioned into that like visceral horror that much it, you know at times i do wonder it, it still has to be a family friendly movie yeah. right yeah definitely whereas and it or is if, if if there was a dinosaurs <laughs> attack movie it would be more like the original robocop where you'd have mm-hmm. all that gore and that incredible violence but mixed in with satire to take the edge off and it yeah. become that that means it doesn't register in that negative way you can you you smile at it you laugh with it uh so that would be the difference in tone i would say yeah whereas this is you know obviously jurassic park is a franchise that as rough as it is it has to still have kids in it and mm-hmm. you know <laughs> that kind of thing yeah it, it it toes the line sometimes and i do like i have actually said over the years like on twitter or on the podcast i'm like I feel like at times Colin Trevorrow, you know, directing the the new films and stuff, I feel like he was slightly inspired by some of these moments, you know, like mm. uh, f- like, for instance, there's I remember there was a card with a, a pteranodon that I feel like it like impaled somebody or like it was eating somebody or something. And <laughs> and that that whole moment in Jurassic World where like pteranodon like yeah. smashes through the helicopter and it like impales the the pilot or whoever was fl- or, uh, the gunner or whoever it was at the time. And then that that in that crash of the helicopter, it just felt very dinosaurs attack, and it's like, well, I, I, I love that about first, it. As early as the first film, when the guy is hiding by sitting on the toilet bowl, when <laughs> yes, when, you know, that, <laughs> talk about a dinosaurs attack. Now that's a classic dinosaur. You're trying to do your thing on the toilet, and you're being attacked by a dinosaur. <laughs> now that's perfect dinosaurs attack. Yeah. So every now and then, that sick humor would work its way into because obviously with dinosaurs, what do they do other than attack? That's mainly yeah. it. Uh, uh, I brought in with Dinosaurs Attack, I took it into more weird sci-fi levels where they have a god watching after them and there's a you know, there's a race of dinosaur beings to talk to the professor and all that. So it was a little more out of limits like, let's uh-huh. know, shall we say. Um, but yeah, mainly your dinosaurs are gonna be munching on you, they're gonna be jumping on you and eating you. That's yeah. what they do. 
Yeah. And you know what's so great about dinosaurs as well? They all have all these appendages. <laughs> so I remember we, we had one card of, of uh, um, uh, London in flames, right? Uh -huh. So you had this dinosaur, you know, this with all these spikes on its back, and people are jumping out of a burning building, not realizing they're jumping onto the spikes of this um, creature. That's, yeah. You know, like, well, so you make <laughs> use of... I remember a, a triceratops in the wedding one where the bride is skewered on one horn, the groom is skewered on the other, and the thing's stomping on a wedding cake. And I think that the, if you flip on to the reverse, it's the wedding invitation with some blood stains on it. Oh my, so, wow. So we, we, were, <laughs> we were being wicked and satirical, yeah. whereas Jurassic Park was has an element of that, but it's, it's really more of an adventure mm -hmm. uh, story, if you yeah. will. I do uh, like that there was a quick crossover on, uh, I think it was like series one. I, I'm looking at this picture. Actually, I had never seen it until this book where you've got this <laughs> triceratops impaling the, like a Ford Explorer, like it, lifting it up. It's a, it's amazing. Like that is such a mm -hmm. great crossover mm -hmm. to me. I love that so much. Fantastic. <laughs> We're so pleased that we pleased you. How, how close was it to be, to actually like becoming like uh, a film? The dinosaurs. Oh, attack. the dinosaurs attack. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were optioned twice. Um, um, first, uh, um, Joe Dante optioned us uh, right after he saw. Uh, actually, because I was sort of friendly with Joe, another one of these monster movie guys, you know. So we all <laughs> kind of speak the same language. And I said, "Hey, Joe, look at what we're doing." And he went nuts because he was a fan of the original Mars Attacks. So they optioned it. They knew a dinosaur fan was was brewing. Uh, but then, from what I've been told, uh, Crichton himself loved the cards, and so I'm going to make my own better version, which he did. <laughs> uh, and uh, once that, once the the galleys or whatever of that were circulated through the studios, uh, even though Warner Brothers had bought Dinosaurs Attack for Joe Dante, um, and it was in the Hollywood Reporter and Variety, uh, once Crichton jumped in with his thing, well everybody in the world would say okay this is gonna be the biggie and uh and then it was and then dinosaurs attack was optioned again later um in in the 90s by tim burton uh who was going to do it before mars attacks uh but he was a little afraid of jurassic so he said let me do the martian movie invasion movie first not realizing that independence day was in production so he was going to get screwed no matter which way he turned on <laughs> yeah. that one uh, but you know something those guys would have done dinosaurs attack in a attack of the killer tomatoes well you saw the way the mars attacks movie was yeah uh i grew up with mars attacks the original mars attacks was written in the early 60s uh, camp didn't exist back then uh, your, your attacks from outer space those kind of things were dead serious those were death faces on those martians right mm -hmm. and um i had optioned mars attacks from tops I just done Pumpkinhead, and with my writing partner, Mark, Mark Patrick Carducci, um, we took Mars Attacks, we wrote a serious script based on Mars Attack, and took it all around Hollywood, and we were told that, uh, sorry, we don't think War of the Worlds is coming back. So, <laughs> thank you. A few years later, we have alien invasions dropping from the ceiling. Yep. Uh, but yeah, so, so being at Tops, uh, uh, I had access in some ways to some of this. I had the ear of Arthur Sharon, who was the president of the company. And uh, so he sort of did some favors for me like that. Uh, but unfortunately, like I say, nobody bought the Mars Attacks until Tim Burton a while later, and then he did it as a comedy. Uh, 
to me, the original Mars Attacks was so terrifying, such a nightmare. Uh, in destroying a dog, a little boy's dog is being destroyed in front of his eyes, a horrifying moment. It's treated as a joke in, in the movie, right? The yeah. president's dog is after some silliness. Uh, so we never got the serious nightmarish Mars Attacks that we always wanted. Uh, mm. Now, when I did Dinosaur's Attack, that, I had, that was supposed to be satiric. The okay. melodrama and the satire combined on that was a little different formula. So that's why I say RoboCop is the best movie I can think <laughs> of that caught that tone. Okay. You know, yeah, where it's sadistic and it's funny at the same time. Yeah, you know, look, Jurassic is promoting this next film as the conclusion, right? Like, this is the end. So I think Dinosaur's Attack is, you know, it's it's it might be due. Like, so... Let's not I give up on it. Let's not give up. Say, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. I'm going. Well, <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love to be involved in it. It's. It is my baby. Uh, I would hope uh, whoever did do it would keep that tone. Would keep all those weird elements, like the the dinosaur god that is the overlord yeah. that's behind the whole thing. All of those things are what given its <laughs> unique identity. You know. Uh, yeah. Everything in that was a takeoff on something I had experienced in the science fiction movies of the 50s and 60s. That particular bit came from Quatermass in the Pit, where Professor Roney is, is, is facing this insect devil god thing in the sky at the end, which is what a Martian intelligence resembled. <laughs> it's a fantastic movie, five million years to Quatermass in the Pit. But at the end, when, when me, as the scientist, and I'm facing this thing, that's what that was a takeoff on that particular thing and people who know science fiction movies will distantly say oh i see what he's okay okay so it's all built in and buried into it uh um, yeah i mean the whole thing was a satire on everything including myself so <laughs> what can i tell you <laughs> i so love sorry. it we're really supposed to be talking about jurassic park and and i, well, I think i kind of swayed no into dinosaurs attack I love I love those cards. So that was that was influential to me as a child, and I feel yeah. like other dinosaur fans out there and Jurassic fans know of it. So uh, it, it is great to hear about, it. and hopefully, I mean, hopefully, I mean, it gets its chance someday. Crichton, Michael Crichton did see the cards, and like you know, that in a sense, Jurassic did yeah. kind of come from that too. And, so, and you know what? The the book is much more um, scary in tone, and there's a lot more brutality. Like when they talk mm -hmm. about Dennis Nedry and the Dilophosaurus, he's holding his insides in his own hand so oh, it's like yeah, it's yeah. it's much more dark than it is uh in the yeah. film so it kind yeah. of i could see how that could have paid off in the book um but uh <laughs> but bringing it back to jurassic you i think mm -hmm. you mentioned somewhere in the book that you know sometimes like this uh simple is is like the best uh when referring mm -hmm. to you know like a, the logo on the card i think one of the cards was just yeah. like a green background with just mm -hmm. like the jurassic logo and Jurassic is known for that like iconic imagery outside yeah. of the uh, dinosaurs and all that stuff. Just the the vibe that it gives off, the logos, the different you know, because all the films have their own different logos and different backgrounds and uh, and stuff like that. So, what is it about Jurassic that you think stands out versus maybe other dinosaur content? Because Jurassic, kind of like what we've been talking about, like took the crown, right? Like they just they yeah. just ran ahead of everybody, and we and don't really see anything else. else. Nobody else even can really, other than maybe, you know, Carnosaur or a couple other movies. <laughs> yeah. For the yeah. most part, no one even, as opposed to 
when Star Wars made space and that kind of thing big, everybody in the world was doing yeah. their version. But with the dinosaurs, they said no. It was almost maybe a feeling of there's only so much you could do with dinosaurs. They've kind of staked out this territory. Let them <laughs> do it. Um, uh, in terms of what you were saying about less is more, where I was wondering, well, when you think about the Jurassic Park graphics, uh, like the silhouetted uh, Rex skeleton, and uh, I, I mean, it kind of reminds me of the way the promotion was for Batman and Superman. You know, you just had the bat emblem, and with Superman, you had the uh, the S insignia in the sky or whatever, but there was no classical style paintings of the heroes. No, that was viewed as old school. Yeah. And they wanted something that was simple and direct and a little more sophisticated. And whether it's the bat symbol or the Jurassic Park icon, that winds up making it kind of a higher form of life, sort of, as a, as a product. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's more grown up. It's more, it's not pulpy, you know, uh, and they had to appeal. You know, these movies, we forget now, but when I started at Tops in the early 70s, these movies were not in favor of films of this sort mm -hmm. uh, because it was a feeling that, I remember even Arthur Shard even saying something like this to me, the president of Tops, just saying, oh, kids don't take these special effects movies seriously because the effects are never that good and they can see through them and, <laughs> and, and whatever. And it's true, for a long time, there really uh -huh. wasn't, I'd be at Tops doing card sets on things like the Waltons or Adam 12, you know, I mean, like, my God, where are the fun movies <laughs> and TV shows? Uh, but then, and you know, something, even the $6 million man, I remember at that time, there was a feeling that it only works because he's not in a costume. If he was in a costume like a superhero, it would be goofy for children only. The way sure. to make these things work on a mass level is it was the feeling was almost we've evolved out of comic books years yeah. ago. We, yeah. Now guys <laughs> in boots, oh, we don't take that seriously. And the same thing with rubber monsters. Oh, that was in the fifties and whatever. Well, guess what? Always <laughs> <Star Wars laughs> comes along, changes everything uh, in all of these areas. And, and all of a sudden, this stuff is popular. But for years, it was an uphill battle for the mainstream to take mainstream to take these subjects seriously. Um, thank God for George Lucas. And even when they did them, they would be flawed, like uh, the King Kong remake, you know, the Dino De Laurentiis version, or you know, they, they'd always they wouldn't be quite right. It took Lucas and Spielberg, and then later James Cameron, whatever, to really bring us into this new age of science fiction cinema yeah yeah and uh, yeah i i i love that it's all accepted and we can all celebrate these things and it's almost to the point where it's almost like the only kind of movie that's out nowadays is is a movie like that where it's just like you know chaos well and, you know, and, and you and know stuff, something but... we, we could get we could get serious about that for a moment and i'm kind of sorry that is the case because when these things were few and far between, they were special. Mm -hmm. uh, particularly the comic book movies. The comic books, they were guilty pleasures, the stuff you're supposed to have grown out of. And here you would have these movies coming in out of nowhere to challenge the status quo. And so they stood out. But if that's all you have, <laughs> they are <laughs> the mainstream now. And yep. it, it, it doesn't unconsciously affect you the way it used to we were 
rebellious. We were into the things that people weren't into. Now that's all people are into. Um, it's got to change your whole position in this. It has yeah. for me. Uh, I mean, I, I used to see every single one of these things when I was a kid or whatever. And now I, I there's too much of it. You I, can't I, keep I, up. I can't handle it anymore. <laughs> It's, I mean, I wrote it, a book, yeah. Top, I, I wrote a, I wrote a, a bunch of books. Top one hundred horror movies, top one hundred sci-fi movies. I wrote a top one hundred comic book movies, and uh, I said, "Well, that, that movie's going to be dated on arrival because this, every year there are <laughs> brand new great ones coming out." But now, even though I wrote a book on that subject, I don't want to see any more of them. I'm tired of them. Uh, it's, it's, it's weird that that's happened yeah. to me. Um, yeah. It happens. It happens. You know, and, and nowadays we've got Jurassic returning with, with Jurassic World Dominion and they're they're touting, you know, the original characters coming back and mm-hmm. more anim, more animatronics than ever. Um, so they're kind of bring they're trying to say that they're bringing it back to Jurassic Park, to what we saw back in 1993. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see if if they can capture that magic of, you know, stuff that you captured in all these cards and put on here. So uh, I'll be interested to see if if uh, if you had to create, like, cards and, and stuff like that for Jurassic today, what what kind of stuff would you want to throw in there? Well, it, it would be, um, the first thing would be, well, you're tying into the new movie, and uh, that would mean six months or so before the movie comes out, uh, they've already gotten in touch with you, and you've already been looking at pictures that's the other thing we would look at imagery and read a script and then i would have to guess based on the script and the images <laughs> match them to what i think okay. you know was telling the story <laughs> half the time the people i was working with the companies didn't know themselves and things yeah. constantly being changed so a lot of that just represents my best guess but that's what you would do you would get the pictures you try to put them together to, to reflect the storyline. Uh, you would use as many quotes and as many things adapted from the script as you could. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you'd have a behind-the-scenes section, you know, all the usual kind of things. Uh, probably a group of, of original art pieces that we would uh, have commissioned that would be inspired by some scenes in the film. Uh, yeah, and probably some other gimmicks that I haven't even. I remember I, I'm I'm retired <laughs> from doing training cards the last <laughs> few years, uh, but even even when I was still doing them, uh, a lot of times the folks who were coming up with a lot of the gimmicks and what kind of insert a little piece of a dinosaur skin or something, Ooh. you know, those things were yeah, <laughs> those things would be yeah. I mean, uh, God knows who would come up with some of those thoughts. Uh, in the old days, it would just be us, you know, all of us in new product development. But now we've opened it up. And uh, so I'm sure a brand new Jurassic set would be. Uh, well, here's one thing I don't think we ever did. Uh, and I'm sure they wouldn't do it now. Uh, I created a new format for them called Wide Vision, uh, which was a longer trading card. Uh, I had felt, my God, I've done so many Star Wars cards that were traditional trading card shape. Uh, why not do justice to the full anamorphic frames, mm-hmm. which were so beautifully designed? So I did the first Wide Vision Star Wars set, which, of course, Abrams has put out a book between two covers. You get the whole thing. Wow. Uh, but again, it was uh, those compositions were so distinctive. 
And then on the back of the card, I would have the original storyboard so you could see how it went from a drawn image as a storyboard oh, to a finished thing and all that. And in the proper aspect ratio, right? So I don't <laughs> think we ever did Jurassic cards in the proper aspect ratio. It was probably just standard. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's if those movies are anamorphic. They may be 185. But we probably could have made wide cards, which is something that we never did. Yeah, that would be amazing. I mean, that would have been great. look, the I new movie comes out. Cards. I wish we new had done wide cards on Lord of the Rings as well. Which oh, wow. That would have been gorgeous. We did a ton of great Lord of the Rings sets, but I always wanted to do a wide version yeah. of that. Oh, I'm sure that would be impressive. Oh, that would have yeah. been. Even now, I think it's a cool idea. Yeah. <laughs> Look, the new movie comes out in like two weeks. Do you, do you think you can handle this in two weeks? Can you get it done for us? Because I want to see some really cool cards yeah, for right. the new movie. <laughs> hey, sometimes, listen, the original Star Wars, we, we put together at light speed because the movie yeah. had already come out. We were in this battle with Kenner to get the rights and all that. And, and uh, you know, we that turnaround on that was remarkable. So we really were able to move pretty fast. I mean, it was a whole different world, though. Yeah. They had their whole system of jobbers. and I mean, now, God only knows how they do it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can't find trading cards physically in, in, in stores or whatever. I know, it's hard. I yeah. guess if you go to a collector's store, you might find some. Yeah. But they used to be, you know, you had the mom and pop thing going, and you'd have these cards at every candy counter in the country, you know? Yep. It was... Uh, a different experience. Yeah. I can, I can still remember, like the store that I used to go to mm. and how it looked inside and where all oh, the cards yeah. were. So, and that, you know, that's due to a lot of the amazing stuff that, that you were able to produce. So, uh, I've already taken up so much of your time, but I just want to say thank you so much, Gary, oh, no, uh, for joining pleasure. me. You I know, happy to go on even another, another 20 <laughs> minutes if you wanted. <laughs> <laughs> we can pick no. this up again if you want to keep Yeah, going. we'll definitely, we'll happy. definitely talk more in the future. I think, you know, it was an honor to, to chat with you about Jurassic and Dinosaurs oh, Attack. Pleasure. Just all super important to me growing up. So I guarantee, like I said, there's plenty of people out there that will be just as excited to hear about this as well. So so thank you so much for hanging out for a few. Do you have anywhere that maybe people can track you down or find your work or anything like that? Well, um, okay. I mean, I'm on Facebook. That's probably the easiest place is Gary Girardi. I've got his Facebook page there. Um, I've got a book out this year called The Art of Joe Smith, the great movie poster painter I mentioned. Also had a documentary uh, that I wrote, produced and directed called Romantic Mysticism, The Music of Billy Goldenberg. Billy Goldenberg was Steven Spielberg's first composer. He did mm -hmm. the Night Gallery pilot with Joan Crawford. He did Duel, he did all the Columba, all that early stuff. And a brilliant composer. And he was a good friend of mine. Uh, and that's coming out June 14th as part of the UFO incident release from, on Blu-ray from Kino Lorber, which I also did the commentary on. Uh, so I'm always doing something. <laughs> You're <laughs> always around. Or another. Uh, but you can find me on Facebook. If you want to, if you want Amazing. To well, definitely everybody out there, go go follow Gary. And uh, thank you so much <laughs> once again. And uh, we'll talk again sometime. Terrific. Thank you. Thank you so, so much for listening to the 327th episode of the Jurassic Park podcast. Of course, a huge thank you goes out to Gary for joining me to talk all about those tops trading cards. That was uh, an amazing time chatting with Gary. I, I learned so much about how these things are created, how much Gary worked on 
uh, it was really incredible to learn about all the different things, uh, things that have had a big impact on me, whether it's, you know, the dinosaurs attack cards, the hook trading cards, and of course, Jurassic Park. There was so much to learn about and even more. And uh, a huge thank you to Gary for joining me. And of course, a big thank you to Abrams Books for sending the book over to me so I could take a look at that thing and just see how glorious all of those cards are in the in the flesh right there it's so cool that we have that book as a resource so thank you so much to abrams and thank you to gary once again but that does it for this episode so thank you so much uh, of course please remember if you leave a review over on itunes i will try to read those as often as i can as always, stay safe out there. Be kind. Love you all so much. Thank you for listening. Let's continue to fight for representation, of course, change and equality, and make this world a better place. We really, really need it. So I'm going to go ahead and hand things off to myself for the outro. Take it away. Saddle up. Let's get this movable feast underway. Be sure to give us a follow over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod, and myself, at Brad Jost. Also on Facebook and Instagram, at Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to join the Jurassic Park Podcast group on Facebook. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Audible, our website, or wherever else podcasts are found. So be sure to follow along. Also, don't miss our live streams, toy hunts, reviews, in-depth bonus content, gameplay, event and theme park coverage, and much more on our YouTube channel. If you haven't already, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will read your reviews at the end of most episodes, so be sure to spare no expense. Find us on the web at JurassicParkPodcast.com, where you'll find today's episode's show notes, articles, contributor bios, and so much more. If you want to get a hold of us, you can fill out the contact form on our website or send emails to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. We're always looking for new segments, contributors, mailbag submissions, or anybody who just wants to say hello. Feel free to call our voicemail line at any time to leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Make sure to be kind to everybody and stay safe out there. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Drop what you're doing and leave now.